Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of the At YouTube podcast, talking all things YouTube, including new album news, which we actually have some tour dates, which we kind of don't have, and community discussions from the staff of At YouTube. Joining me for this episode, we're talking war, and I have three very excellent, uh, let's say, shall we call them war correspondents? Is that appropriate? <laughs> I uh, love it. <laughs> we have Becky coming back to the podcast. Welcome back, Becky. Thank you. Great to have you back. Thank you. And Tasula, you're coming back again. Yep, glad to be here. Glad to have you. And Marilyn is back. Well, back officially on the podcast. You were on in audio form, I guess, or whatever, one time. But you're now a live person on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. So, yeah, like I said, we're going to be talking about the album war. This is a continuation of our series, our U240 series of going album by album and song by song minute by minute of U2's life, <laughs> as it were. Um, but before we get to that, we have a couple of things to chat about briefly. Um, the As you may have seen on atut.com, we have a, an event coming up in September, late September, in Cleveland. And Tasula, you know some details that you can share with the folks? Well, we're still uh, ironing out the specifics, but you definitely want to plan to be there September 24th and 25th if you're going to come to Cleveland to celebrate with us. Uh, We're working out some pretty exciting stuff with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum, so that's the location. We can confirm that. Uh, We've also posted on At U2 some hotels in the area that are offering good deals during that time frame, so if you want to Book your travel. Go, please go ahead and do that before the rooms book up. And we should be making an announcement on the f- ticket prices and, and everything else very, very soon, like this week. So stay tuned to the homepage for that. Yeah. As we record this, this will go out, of course, and you might listen to this later. So it might actually be there by the time you're listening, depending on when you listen to the well podcast. very well could. Yeah. But yeah, definitely check out at youtube.com. And uh, like Tasula said, um, I booked my hotel already. So it, my hotel, not a hotel, whole hotel, just a room. <laughs> okay, <crazy. Whoa. laughs> just a floor. Party. Yeah, just yeah. need a floor. Just need and, and do you want to share what you might uh, have a hand in doing there, Chris, while we're I, oh, right. I was trying to think, what am I doing? The, we might be doing a I? podcast, a live recording of the podcast. And, He's uh, already forgotten his work duties. Yeah. <laughs> So much right. So we're gonna again, just like the school said, lots of details still to be ironed out exactly how it'll all play out. But we're hoping to definitely do a live one there. Whether we can also figure out the live streaming angle on that too, um, we'll f- hopefully be able to do that. I'm sure someone can Facebook Live Periscope something whatever the the recording as well. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of live things going on. <laughs> but you'll want to pay attention to the. Twitter account of at you of course, ATU2 on Twitter to uh, be made aware of. So, um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Right, Becky and Marilyn, are you guys going to be there as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, just bought my air ticket yesterday, so I'm excited. I can't wait. It's always fun getting together with this group and with the Rock Hall, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, supporting this in such a big way it will be even better. Yeah, we've and had two, be- two previous events there, so we know that they, they put on a wonderful presentation. <clears throat> yeah, it'll be just a lot of fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Marilyn, how about you? Yes, I'm definitely going to be there. Um, I live uh, fairly close to Cleveland, and there's really no reason to go there <laughs> other than for the <laughs> Rock 
Rock Hall. So um, no offense, Ohio. <laughs> no offense, Ohio. Um, actually, no. There's other reason. We went to the um, Christmas Story House last time we were there together. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for losing us. Two reasons. There are please. some fun things to do in Cleveland. Let's yeah. not knock and it. I, well, I'm I'm not going to be um, harsh on Cleveland because um, I do go there for concerts because yeah. uh, they get some concerts that we don't get. So we definitely go there <laughs> often enough. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Sorry to lose all, all of Ohio as a listener, but well, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> it's that Ohio, Pennsylvania thing. I'm sure other States do the same. Yeah. Have the same rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, who knows, maybe by then we'll have some new album the way <laughs> Bono's been talking, of course. Um, just a quick bit of tour or newest update anyways, just in case you haven't read it on the site and the podcast is where you get a bit of your U2 news anyways. Bono, Edge, and Adam Clayton were in uh, Spain and they attended a wedding and took photos of fans, etc. And they chatted with U2 in Espana uh, and met the band there and talked, asked about the songs of experience. Bono said, it's not finished yet, but you will like it. <laughs> so there's that. And in terms of lyrics, it's stronger than war. So perfect that we're talking about war this episode and it has more clarity. So what do you guys think of, of, of Bono's proclamations about uh, what it is? Oh, and it's you might see a few things in <coughs> September or October, though, which is probably alluding to some of the recent concert announcements and stuff that they're doing. But who knows? What do you think of Bono's announcements to Zula or proclamations? I don't. I take them with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think they're making progress. I mean, we keep seeing pictures of them in the studio and, you know, then they go to a wedding in Spain and then they go back to the studio and then they're, you know, then Larry's in Monaco. Oh, but then he's in the right. studio. So, you know, I mean, I, I hope and I want it to be true, but I know those guys well enough to know <laughs> that we've got a little bit of a wait. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think we'll be unwrapping a new album at the uh, U240 Cleveland event, hey? Uh, I think that's a little ambitious, but maybe by Christmas. Oh. Maybe maybe by the end of the year. All right. What's that? I can wait till Christmas. Yeah. yeah they're they playing... like to do stuff in November. That's like, that's, you know, fourth quarter fun for them. They do stuff around Thanksgiving, around American Thanksgiving. Right. So, yeah. We'll see if they, if Bono touches Tim Cook's hand again to release an album or what they... You and that finger thing, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I know. That's the one unifying. Well, there's many unifying things, I'm sure. But the Apple fans and the U2 fans both hope that never happens again. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're playing, as we've talked about, I think, in the previous episode. But and just to make you aware that they're playing the iHeartRadio Music Festival on September 23rd and performing at Dreamforce on October 5th. So two little, not f- full concerts for them per se, but uh, events anyways that they're going to be playing at and um, they're headlining. And so... Yeah, we'll see if we, we get... will have correspondence at both events. So nice. Stay tuned again. <laughs> if, <laughs> if news does break, we will have somebody on site to break it for you. Yeah, and the iHeartRadio one is going to be live streamed, right? Is that what we're hearing? That's what we're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So so everybody gets to watch that, even if you don't have tickets. So yeah, that'll be something to look forward to, uh, possibly in Cleveland that we're doing. <laughs> oh. um, all right. Well, let's get into uh, the roundtable discussion about war. And uh, before we do, we have a couple of uh, questions from and comments from listeners that sent in comments through the uh, hashtag AskAtU2 on Twitter. And uh, we'll integrate some of the other ones that people sent in as, as appropriate about the album, uh, about songs from the album. But uh, at Rab, <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> I always want a mashup of you pronouncing all these names. That's go. What I, Somebody go back and make an edit of that. At the end of the shows, yeah. <laughs> when we retire the show, then that'll be what I spend my time doing. Uh, War is the first U2 album I listened to in full, along with October. Favorite song, Sunday Blaze Sunday, Seconds, New Year's Day, and 40. Great energy. Half the album, but yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Any U2 list ends up being like, oh, no, I just need to include one more song. Uh, at Jab W10 mentioned, uh, speaking of war, thoughts on Bono's quote that the new album is stronger than war. Yes, consider the source, but still, smiley face. Uh, which was, this, was it Enemy or something? Like, what was the source? Do you remember? Well, the... Uh, oh, you're, or, or the source being Bono. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like the... Or I thought he meant the um, magazine. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, but that's fair. Consider the source, Bono. Yeah. Huh. Bono right. sounding or Edge is sounding more metal than he ever has, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, he's on fire again, yeah. <laughs> isn't he? Always, <laughs> no offense, Bono. I mean, yeah. we love you if you're listening. I'm sure <laughs> I like that Bono is even thinking if this really came out of his mouth, which I assume it did. I like that he's thinking about war, about this, the strength of this album in yeah. reference to something today that's cool yeah it's a very interesting comparison to go back to that like not just you know the last album or the two you know the current generation of albums or whatever but like to go way back to war as a reference point is pretty cool so obviously it's in their brain or in his brain anyways and uh by way of leading us into the discussion uh, at underscore big wave underscore war was my end to you too and he mentioned the, the quote, and the battle's yet begun to claim the victory Jesus won as a lyric. I'm still reeling at 33 years on. So um, definitely some, uh, obviously some spiritual components to the album as well, as with much of you too. So if this is your first episode of the YouTube podcast, at YouTube podcast you're listening to, we're doing a bit of a series. We're going from boy to songs of innocence or songs of experience if it comes out. <laughs> and uh, By the time we finish. Yeah. We started with episode number 34. So if you go back to goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34 with boy. And uh, and then now we're at war. So um, anybody have comments on, I guess, where U2 is at during the recording of war and and what sort of this headspace they might have been in? I um, I have Matt's book here. Uh, Matt McGee's. Um, Not familiar with him. You two, a diary. <laughs> I know, I know, I know you. Um, you're new to this site, so. <laughs> um, and it says that August eighth, nineteen eighty two, was the Edge's twenty first birthday, and you two began work on their album War at Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin. Um, though they had considered other producers, Steve Lillywhite joins them to produce his third straight U2 album. So um, they go in and they're with someone they're comfortable with. Um, and they just uh, decide they want to sound like The Clash. And... <laughs> um, that was Bono. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Bono screaming at the edge, don't do that. Don't be like the edge. Be like Mick Jones, uh, trying to get Edge to be a little more uh, aggressive. And uh, I think it worked because the whole album seems uh, fairly aggressive compared to the first two albums. Yeah, that's what, definitely you can hear. Uh, I, I, f I think anyways, just like a marked change in style and production value and... Um just overall competency of the band as a unit 
uh, on this album that you didn't hear in the same way, like drastically anyways, uh, from previous albums. And so, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely for me, the first, one of the, my favorite early U2 albums, uh, for sure. So, um, Tisula, how about you? I know you've mentioned that you enjoy the album uh, occasionally. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you want me to add? I don't, I don't know that I have much to add in this regard. Right. So the um, the uh, album itself, though the album cover art and things like that, um, Cecilia, you had I guess some comment on uh, you had interviewed the, the that borders. I can I can speak to yeah right. So uh, back in 2006, I interviewed Peter Rowan, who is um, fans may know Googie, who is Bono's best friend. He's Googie's younger brother, and he is the kid that appears on the cover of Boy and War and um, the best of eighty to ninety, I guess it is. Um, and he was eight years old at the time of this photo shoot and was horsing around. And I think he was on a skateboard, if I remember correctly, and fell and tripped and cut his lip. And they were going to, like, clean him up. And the, the photographer's like, no, 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 no. You know, let's just <laughs> let's just leave him as is for this photo shoot. And there was actually a... Um, a, a big story about how he got paid because everybody wondered if he got all these royalties for this iconic film, you know, or this iconic album cover. And no, he was paid in Mars bars and that's exactly <laughs> how he wanted to be paid when he was eight years old. And they had him up against a blank wall. And if folks who have the stealing hearts at a traveling show book um, that Steve Avril and Sean McGrath put out a few years ago, um, they can see the the contact sheets for this, but he was up against like a plain background with a helmet on, like he is in the the best of, and that wasn't working for the, what they wanted to convey. They wanted to convey not just you know the horrors of war, but what war does to people and children specifically, of course. And so they actually found some corrugated metal or cardboard or something that they put behind his head, which is the texture that you see behind him, and then his lip being freshly cut by an actual accident made it look all the more, you know, rugged for the cover. And, you know, he remembers from that day, he said he remembers two things that the soup that they fed him was terrible. (laughs) Somebody's wife, somebody's, you know, wife made soup and gave them soup and he hated it. And that Bono almost killed them driving them somewhere afterward, (laughs) which is, you know, a common story we hear from so many people that ride. What a surprise. He's a terrible driver. Right. But, uh, (laughs) But I think that it's cute that he was eight, you know, and and this was his memory. And now, of course, he has gone on to become a famous photographer in his own right, which is pretty cool. And he does, from time to time, shoot you two shows. Yeah, he's got a great site, PeterRowan.com. Link will be in the show notes uh, where you can see his work. And then uh, you can also follow him on Twitter. He's he's not like, like, I guess probably some people in the U2 uh, world think of him as being fairly famous or infamous. But he's not, you know, he's just a normal guy <laughs> yeah. be on the cover of a hugely selling album. Yeah, and the funny thing was when I interviewed him, I found out that he didn't even own those albums. So as a thank you for inter- being interviewed, I sent him War with a box of Mars bars. <laughs> nice. and, and, and he loved it. We still talk. He's still, he's still a friend. We, we still talk. But yeah. That's um, cool. I thought that was I thought that was crazy though that if you're if you're the kid on this cover how could you not and he's like oh I have some of their other albums that I listen to all the time I just don't happen to have War Boy and I'm like why wouldn't you have War and Boy but anyway yeah now he has one of them so 
That's hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, it's about uh, and when the album came out, it, it was uh, I hadn't realized this that it was like as a biggest success, I guess, in UK where it in the UK where it knocked. I'm just reading from Wikipedia here, but like they knocked in Thriller off the top charts at the time, mm-hmm. which uh, oh, yeah. to become a number one album, uh, the band's first number one album in the UK. So um, it's yeah, it's just interesting the the time frame that that puts it in. Obviously, for any you know, if you're a pop fan and think of Michael Jackson and stuff back in the '80s, and this album comes out, and that's kind of like what people are <laughs> are listening to, and and the, the the sort of zeitgeist, I guess, or whatever at the time. Um, and, uh, and still ranks fairly highly in 2012. The album was number 223 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. So whatever those lists are worth, <laughs> it's, it's at least on them anyways, as a, an album that uh, is, is very well received in, in hindsight. So, um, but yeah, it's a very, very, uh, iconic album, very, um, like I said, aggressive and, and Marilyn said, you know, it's just kind of a transition period of, of being a little more aggressive and less uh, laid back edge. So um, what's, uh, what was it like, I guess, for folks, I don't know who would want to chat to, I guess, about the idea of like listening when you heard it for the first time and maybe uh, Becky, I don't know if you have comments here, but like what it was like when you first heard the album come out and, or, or first heard it yourself. Yeah. I think for me, when certainly I was familiar with you two prior to this and I liked them, but I was in high school and headed to college but when this album came out it just grabbed me it was like they were starting to mature their sound was getting more solid they were adding more songs to their repertoire which i think was probably great for people going to the live shows at the time um you know they were refining their act and they started moving into some arenas at that point i believe in a few places and coming out of the um october album you know, in that era, it was just a little bit different sound. And I think I liked, I was a big fan of, you know, punk and then sort of new wave at the time because it's what was playing in all the clubs and would go dancing. And the U2 song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, you know, and New Year's Day were everywhere. And I think I just heard so much of it there, but it was really the music and the beat and the vibe that got my attention. And it was fun. Even though if you listen to the lyrics, it was much deeper. But on one level, it was just, I thought it was fun to hear it in the clubs and dance to it and all of that. I thought about the lyrics separately and where they were going with the album much later, actually. Right, which brings up, I don't want to get jump ahead too far into the song discussion, but um, fellow at U2 site writer and podcast host sherry was had mentioned would love to hear thoughts on the two hearts beat as one uh, music video and dance remixes why are the need for dance remixes anyways what she had sent in through the uh, hashtag ask you too and so is that stuff like is that sort of what you would have been hearing or dancing to or was it more actually uh, just like the rock more of them the things that were in the top 40 or 50 or wherever they landed in the u.s i don't remember they they started did this album hit around 91 and then moved up pretty high I think pretty quickly. Once um, they got ETV airplay, it did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah number 12 the, in the U.S., I think. Yeah, the video you. in the snow. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> Lord. Um, uh, yeah, it would have been something like that. Um, although Two Hearts, to me, I, I love that song because, you know, he wrote that on their honeymoon and 
That's such a nice song. <laughs> Very sweet. <laughs> it was the last video I watched before we started taping. Oh, there you go. Oh. How about you, Marilyn? <laughs> Did, do you remember uh, hearing it for the first time and sort of what your response was to it? Yeah. At the time, I was pretty much an REM fan. Um, they were my favorite band at that time. And this was very, very, very different than the REM uh, stuff with, that was out. Um, this, was a, this is an interesting time in music history, I guess, or um, what's on the charts. Um, you have the end of the uh, 70s and sort of that big rock sound like The Who, um, who were still touring at this time, and The Clash, who were sort of taking that big rock sound and putting that punk spin on it. Um, and then you had all the punk stuff that was out. And then you had all the new kind of new wave music that was coming out. And, um, and this was um, kind of fit into all of that. Um, you know, you had these driving songs, you had dance songs. Um, so you have all these different um this amalgam of different types of music and you can sort of hear it in war. Um, but uh, I just, I love this album. This is, I still love this album. It still makes me feel like I'm uh, 18, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I still get angry when I listen to it. <laughs> I want to scream really loud and jump around right. the kitchen while I'm doing dishes. Um, <laughs> you know, nice. my kids love that part too. When I'm, you know, <laughs> So, you know, and I had a big mullet like Bono did and, you know, that was the deal. I want to see a picture of that. Yeah, uh, make sure you tweet out the pictures or whatever later. Oh, oh, there will be no tweeting of the pictures. Hey, I tweeted out my mermaid picture last time. Well, you have no shame. That's That's, that's true. That picture. (laughs) Yeah, so it's funny for me coming back, I'm Actung Baby. U2 fan and working my way backwards it was kind of like you know I remember getting sitting around with friends and playing pool or whatever and we'd be listening to Act Tongue and then someone would throw this on it was like the classic <laughs> U2 you know like old school U2 and there's debate about whether we really like the old U2 or not you know and how that all goes um, and so it's just kind of funny the different spaces that we were in hearing this album for the first time and and for me it, it felt, definitely felt and sounded very raw and you know unproduced compared to act tongue especially obviously at the time and um but but yeah definitely you know if it's hard to like you separate the live experience of you two which i would have heard at least at that time and going back to an album version of a song kind of like you know you, once you hear stuff live anyways for me with you two it kind of comes alive in a different way and so um but but yeah still listening through back to the song through the album in preparation for this podcast and just kind of amazed at just the depth and the the quality of the recording and the this musicianship uh, that the whole band, especially Adam Clayton, kind of I, I poke fun at him for his solo on October last episode, uh, I think it was, <laughs> but definitely uh, he came into his own on this this album. But we'll chat about that in a moment when we go song by song. But um, just in terms of where the name came from, and it's fairly obvious. And Bono had said the album was called War because war seemed to be the motif for 1982. Everywhere you looked, from the Falklands to the Middle East and South Africa, there was war. By calling the album War, we're giving people a slap in the face and at the same time getting away from the cozy image a lot of people have of U2. <laughs> so 
So yeah, and one more thing on the album cover that I forgot. They actually chose the font and the color of the font and the placement of how war is written down the side to mimic um, classic 80s magazines of the time, like Life and Time, that were always reporting on war. Interesting. So, yeah. It's a, it's a interesting in light of you two being a little more, it's fairly direct and like in your face. There isn't very subtle <laughs> as to what they're talking about, right? They're not trying right. to hide it in a, any sort of, uh, yeah. Art, artistic whatever uh, intention there it's just in your face so um, anyways let's get to the songs that we want want to discuss about this album so um, not that we need any introduction really I don't think um, for queuing <laughs> the songs but I'll for the live listeners you'll hear a bit of the song before we we get into it just to help refresh everybody's brain and 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 then it'll be in the podcast version as well if you, a little sample but uh, first up on the album is Sunday Bloody Sunday <laughs> If you want to lead this one off, it's a fairly uh, popular song with you two. Oh, <laughs> Most people should be familiar with it. Yes. So, okay. So you have these um, first two albums of you two, and um, this is their third album. And this song, I think, more than any other U2 song, pretty much is... Um, sets the blueprint for what the rest of their career is going to be like. Um, um, this is an excellent first song. This is an in-your-face song. They um, they come right out, um, drums and bass, and then Bono just he just rips right into it, um, and he's incredulous. Uh, about what's going on in the world. And what I love about this song is that he is not taking sides, which is um, in Ireland at the time, uh, with all the fighting that they had, it was easy to choose one side or the other. And I guess that was the protocol. You chose one side or the other. And in this song, he doesn't choose sides. He's on the side of humanity. He wants everybody to stop the ridiculous fighting. Um, and it's, um, I, I know a lot of people who say that this is, um, their best song ever. Uh, and they, uh, my friend Nicole, who's an excellent U2 fan, she will argue hours with you <laughs> about how this is their best song and um, everything that comes after it is just, <laughs> you know, B-sides. <laughs> so. Even your dog is in intrigued. <laughs> that is that not was, my dog. Oh, that, someone else was hard to tell where in the world the barking is coming from, but the... <laughs> Yeah, but I really love this song for that for that reason. Um, they just um, you you really get a sense that this this is a band that's going to be in your face and they're going to call you out. Um, and they feel I think at this point they feel a little more comfortable with their musicianship. 
they're being a little bolder in their choices. Um, the drums are louder. The bass is louder. Everything's louder. Uh, and, um, and again, you know, they just, Bono is talking about social issues. Uh, he doesn't give you any kind of answer to these problems, but he's bringing them to your attention and he really wants you to think about what's going on. So, um, I know Tasula, this is also one of your favorite songs. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love it so much. I know you do. <laughs> what uh, in the chat room, uh, Fabiano, Fabiano Mad <laughs> had mentioned, Sunday Bloody Sunday was the first music that was a, a success in Brazil. And until today, when you say, talk about U2, even for a non-U2 fan, everybody knows and likes Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is a, just a testament, I think, to the the song, the band, obviously, but the song, especially of that staying power. Cause it's, it is like, it has a, a production style that is slightly eighties ish, but not really like it's a, just a rock song in that sense, I guess. But, um, it's, it's definitely been able to morph into different places. It needs to fit in terms of their tours and, uh, different themes they're trying to talk about and things on the live tour, live stage and stuff. And, uh, and only a great song, I think, can do that. It can't just be uh, yeah, any song that, that will do that. So um, at, Cecilia uh, <laughs> was making fun of me for this one, at Furrow uh, mentioned in the, uh, from uh, hashtag Ask you too, I feel like Sunday Bloody Sunday lost its strength and passion on the last tour and needs a break. Would love to see Seconds replace it. Your thoughts. And so by way of, uh, let's jump into Seconds, but uh, I'll just play a little sample of it before you go. discussion this one oh sure um so i don't know that i would want it to to answer the question you just mentioned right. i don't want anything to replace sunday Bloody sunday <laughs> that's a sacrilege and and shame on you for even suggesting it but <laughs> but however i would love to hear to hear seconds um in addition yeah. to as a bonus of um i think that this was such a great song to to take from Sunday Bloody Sunday, I mean, the order of the songs specifically, uh, because it's a drum song. Again, of course, Sunday Bloody Sunday starts with these iconic drums, and now Seconds is also starting with drums, and it's very military. And, of course, you hear that sample in there, that I want to live a life of danger, whatever. Uh, for those who don't know, that sample was put in because Bono and Edge were sitting there watching a documentary called Soldier Girls in 1981. And I just think it's so hilarious that these badass little rock stars were sitting there watching a documentary about females in the army, you know, like, is that really what guys that age did at that time? You know, not, not your average guy, but these guys, yeah, it's not that odd that they'd be sitting there watching a, a scholarly documentary on women in the service. So anyway, I watched soldier girls this weekend <laughs> for the first time it's free on Amazon prime Americans um, and maybe Canadians. I don't know. There's a version uh, on YouTube that may or may not be, 
you know, legal. Oh, the complete or or the complete. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's not very long though. Um, and it's a Nick Broomfield. Those of you who like documentaries, it's a decent movie anyway. But uh, but I love the fact that they were they just happened to be watching yeah. this while they were working on this album that is so focused on war, and you know that made it into the set. And I also was very curious about why Edge was chosen to sing. This is the first song on any U two album that is not sung by Bono, right? Mm-hmm. And I asked Steve Lillywhite when I interviewed him three years ago why what what the decision was behind that he didn't even remember he was like I, oh my god i don't know i'm looking at my interview right now oh my god i don't know wow that's the first time i've been asked that and i'm trying to remember that's weird is it the second song on the album <laughs> and then i say it is and he says it's the second song on the album and then you've got a different singer very strange you know i haven't listened to the album for many years because i never do and there's some strange things that are unique to war that are not un- that are not like any other u2 album things like trumpet solos so <laughs> so if he doesn't remember and he was obviously one of the decision makers in the room at the time i don't know if we'll ever get the story but uh but i do think it's super cool that they let let or you know, I don't know if let's the right word. Or but made, yeah. Forced. Nominated, asked, <laughs> chose Edge to sing because he does have a great voice and you can hear his youth in it. I, I don't know how to I don't know how to say it better than that. You can hear his youth in it. I think it would sound different today if he sang it today. Yeah, I think that's what uh, I know. There's a, a line in the Bill Flanagan book about you know people who were shocked to see Edge step up to the mic to sing the song when it was played live or whatever. Not because they they do sound close enough that you know the average listener could be like, just sounds like Bono with a slightly different intonation or whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's there. I, I get what you're saying as far as the youthfulness in in his voice and stuff. And I think it it has a little less of that edge <laughs> for. Bad, no pun intended. Yeah, right. uh, that Bono seems to bring to most every other out song on the album, which that's hilarious to me though that Steve Lillywhite wouldn't even remember that Edge. It seems like in in U two fandom or whatever, it's right. a fairly remarkable event that you know Bono right? isn't lead singer. Yeah. Um, and you'd think that would have been like a big deal in the in the room at least, yeah. but maybe, maybe it wasn't. Like maybe there's got to be a version they recorded um, with Bono. But, I would think, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Just to jump in, I was reading, I think it was in the YouTube by YouTube book, might have been where they were talking about this, and Edge was doing some of the recording on it, so that's why he was singing, and then he had assumed Bono would take over the lyrics, and he would do the vocals on that, but then Bono said, no, I want you to do it. Mm. And that was the decision. And Edge was like, are you sure? Or whatever. He was and then, nominated. Hmm. So he was nominated, yes. Uh, I think they happened into it, is how I interpreted that. But then they said, oh, this is a good idea. And that's how it came out. Yeah, it's it's kind of like maybe he was doing the demo of it or whatever and writing it. And then yeah. Just, they said, your version sounds good enough or... <laughs> Yeah, because he's always the one that goes into the studio or at his house or wherever he happens to be, and he's constantly, you know, working and coming up with things. And this was one of those examples. Yeah, and at K Walsh twelve mentioned uh, a comment saying, "Anyone else think Seconds is an underrated song?" Um, I'd say yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, and also, is this the, the album with the least echo? Edge trying to get away from delay, which uh, I know Marilyn you'd mentioned earlier too. Just uh, you know, in terms of trying to be more clash and less edge, and definitely that's a, a common theme as well throughout. Uh, it's still there, but definitely not in the the same kind of way that was before and will be, I guess, 
Uh, spoiler alerts, uh, he brings back the Echo <laughs> in future albums. <laughs> um, can I just say that I'm embarrassed that um, I didn't realize that this was the Edge singing <gasps> See, there you for go. a long time. It took yeah. me a long time to Oh, realize. I thought you were saying like tonight. And I was like, we are <laughs> oh, taking not to, her badge away. Oh, no, away. no, no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> we're taking your least, badge away. I was at least 40 when I figured it out. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. But yeah, at the beginning, I didn't, because their voices are so similar mm-hmm. um, at that age. You're right. They do sound really, really young on this album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, honestly, it's one of my favorite songs, the Adam's bass line on it, and, uh, which is a good mm. reoccurring theme. But uh, as far as like, like, yeah, big hits, Sunday Bloody Sunday, et cetera, are great. But uh, it's one of my favorite songs that I go to on this album. Um, so anyways, let's move on to another little ditty they had. <laughs> The intro is too long to get to any lyrics <laughs> um, before we get hit by a copyright lawyer. But um, <laughs> Marilyn, do you want to take off the discussion on uh, New Year's Day in case somebody wasn't aware what song that was? <laughs> um, in case you didn't know, that was New Year's Day by U2. <laughs> um, another song that um, follows this theme of um, the impending apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and you know the uh, the lyrics are you know Bono's um, he's uh, just incensed about what's happening in the world, and he you know he feels like he has to be with this person in this horrible horrible world, uh, or the you know it's the end of the world, and nothing changes on New Year's Day because. Uh, that's really true. Nothing ever changes on New Year's Day. Everybody's revol- resolutions um, are gone on January 2nd. And uh, I have to agree with him on that. Um, but this this is a huge, huge song for them mm. back then. Um, this song was everywhere. Everywhere. MTV. Mm-hmm. College radio. Um Everywhere. VH1. VH1. Friday yeah. night I don't, videos. No, no, I don't think VH1 was uh, around yet at that point. That's oh. true, yeah. I'm going to look In that 1983? Up. Yeah, so New Year's Day was the album's... Looking it up. Internationally, it was the album's lead single, right? So this is... Yeah, yeah we didn't get Sunday Bloody everything. Sunday in America the way that the rest of the world did. Yeah. Um, Matt's book says um, <laughs> Two Hearts Beat is one... Yeah, uh, we had to release to in Ireland, UK, France, Australia, Japan, and the U.S. And you are right about VH1. It wasn't until New Year's Day, 1985. <gasps> oh, that's why you were thinking of it. That's <laughs> it took it a little while. Oh, you there was young a connection. People. Yeah. <laughs> kids. I was 10. <laughs> I was 10 when it was launched. How cool is that? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Don't go there. 
uh, at Kevin STU mentioned uh, his it's his favorite track on on War and still consider it as a whole flawless. <laughs> and uh, at BZ05 asked, uh, will you guys touch on the alternate lyrics for New Year's Day in one of the remixes? And I don't know which does it. Does anybody know about the remix? I know they are out there. I just I don't know them intimately enough to. I have them. I just don't listen to them. Like why would I? You know. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but why mess with something that's perfect to begin with, you know? Right. I'm not a remix girl in very many circumstances, let's just say. All right. Well, good to know. (laughs) I mean, ladies, are you? Well, the only person on the show, so. There are some remixes that I really like, but I have to say on this one, I think the song is perfect the way it is. To me, these lyrics just hit me in the gut, and it's Oh, it's so good. I love, love, love this song. And it's the color, you know, under a blood red sky. You know, a crowd is gathered in black and white. And then he talks about gold later, and I know it's golden age, and gold is the reason for the wars we wage. But the the imagery that he's so brilliant at putting together, I just love this song. I Are we going to talk about the video? Really like the see ho- it. The horses and all the randomness of the horse riding. Well, now the video is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Larry's peacoat. I mean, come on. Is this the video where um, they're freezing was, in the snow? Yes. Wasn't Edge complaining that um, Duran Duran got to go to the, you know, yeah, they were <laughs> the Caribbean to shoot yeah, their video, yes. and and these guys were up in prayer. some on some yeah. tundra Just somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> On horses. <laughs> and they're like helicoptered like in, right? I think they were in Sweden, but yeah. Freezing. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I didn't know until very recently when I was reading about this, I was just looking it up again. Apparently, it was so cold, they had four women stand in for them on the horses. <laughs> they did. That's true. Because <laughs> they didn't have insurance. They couldn't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think after the fact, you know, their fingers were so, they were just really cold. And um, of course, they're all freezing, but uh, I didn't know about those women. (laughs) Pretty entertaining. Yeah, that's a random video. It's not my favorite. Yeah, you just had a hit hit and miss uh, history with music videos for sure. But um, I think live anyways, this song is always, is one of those ones that, I feel like I'm tired of hearing, uh, sorry if that offends anybody, but, um, the, I'm always, I feel like I'm tired of hearing it, but then I inevitably find myself not skipping it or whatever on a video. And, um, not, not that I really, you know, I'm in that much of a rush to get a concert video or whatever, but, um, and I'm always impressed, especially by edges, um, just again, musicianship on it where he's got the guitar and he's playing piano chords and, and back and forth between the two and jumping from the piano to a guitar solo. And, um, and I know at this point he's played it so many times over the years, but still it's a, it's a technical feat, I guess, uh, of being able to do that and doing it well and consistently. Um, and I know when I was watching this, the, um, songs of, uh, songs of innocence tour video, I tweeted about how, just how precisely he plays even the piano chords on on this song when he's playing it live and you can just see the like focus in his uh, demeanor and stuff when he's playing it but uh yeah still love it and it gets the the crowd jumps obviously and is going insane when they play the song so uh, i kind of felt the same way you'd i mean i'll i'll agree with you that i was getting over it so to speak live but then i heard it that week of my birthday in dublin 
And it totally came back for me. Like the whole, the crowd lost it. You know, yeah. it was like, it was the crowd pleaser for that crowd. And these are mm. old hardcore Irish fans, you know, and it just, it was great to hear. So. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the structure of the song is such that they can change the lyrics um, over and over again to fit whatever situation is happening in the world right now um, as they're touring. So it just brings more people to the song, I think. Even though I know you don't like the remixes to Sula, I, I think that. <laughs> well, that's... I was going to say I don't think they changed any of the words in Ireland, but, but I but I hear what you're saying. I guess, yeah. All right, moving on. We got to keep moving, uh, otherwise this will be another three-hour podcast that we <laughs> end up with. But uh, moving on to number, track number four is like a song. Another one that starts with a heavy bass or heavy drum intro, and uh, and I, I think, um, in as much as Adam came into his own, and this definitely Larry has uh, his own moments too, where he's uh, you know obviously like uh, Marilyn mentioned at the beginning, getting aggressive and and having a lot of fun. I hope you never know with Larry <laughs> having fun playing the drums on this <laughs> this album and uh, in the studio and stuff. And so um, I don't know, Tisula, do you have uh, any comments on like a song? I do. Uh, I actually, I always thought it was kind of a filler song, not a bad song, but it's definitely not a standout for all of the great songs that are on this album, but I do like it. And I always have liked it. And I thought the lyrics were especially sophisticated for this age for the band members. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I went, um, again, I'm going to reference this. I think I referenced it on the last show, so forgive me, but I went to the Conan O'Brien show back when U2 was going to be on their on his show, his old show before he had the Tonight Show, um, mm. and stood in line all night with my sister and you know whatever. Conan came to the line the next morning to greet all of us fans and do a little bit for the taped part of the broadcast later in the show, and he did U2 trivia while we were standing there, and he chose this guy next to me who maybe had never even heard of U2. To participate, and I was about to burst, and the lyric was from this song, and he just said the lyric, and I was like, "Oh, it's, it's like a song," you know. I couldn't say it, but I knew it was like a song. <laughs> <laughs> it was from my favorite album, and, and my sister's like physically holding me back, like she's got a hold of me. You can see it in the tape, like we're on the show, oh, nice. and you can see it. I have a VHS. <laughs> Of me, like, just trying so hard. And the guy, like, looks at me and, like, sneers at me and goes, you know it, don't you? Or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's like a song. So I, I totally, like, stole the guy's trivia moment. But um, but anyway, yeah. So my point is, if that had been New Year's Day or Sunday Bloody Sunday, even as a casual fan, he probably would have known it. But it was like a song. And no one knew it. No one around us knew it. And me and my sister were probably the only people in that little group that knew it. You know, except for the the really bad diehards that were ten people in front of us that had been there for two days, but um, but anyway, yeah. So I think it gets not enough attention because of the placement on the album and because the other songs are just so good. But on a on a mediocre album, this would have been a standout. Mm -hmm. The 
I can honestly say, I don't know if I knew that this was actually what the lyrics were. And I don't know if this is the one that Conan was uh, referencing, but uh, second stanza is, and in leather, lace, and chains, we stake our claim revolution. No, it was the, it was the wear a badge line. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you wouldn't, I have, you wouldn't have used that. <laughs> it was a family show. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it just, I did, I don't think I ever actually connected that that was what the lyric was in that, uh, second line of the song or second stanza. But, um, and just going a bit of follow up or, or whatever from earlier in the show, uh, YouTube fan in the chat room didn't realize it was the edge singing seconds either. And we just actually spoiled it for them <laughs> on the show so if you were like out there listening and uh, also no didn't realize you're not alone uh in in not knowing that that was it and like i said i it took i i, I wasn't until i read uh, flanagan's book that i even realized it wasn't uh, bono so um yeah that's how close they are sounding anyways back then so moving on let's go to drowning man fell into just listening to the music there and forgot about the podcast. <laughs> I, I hear you. Uh, Marilyn, do you want to take the lead on this one? Oh, I love this song. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I love this song. I love how Bono can't really sing this song. <laughs> he sounds like um, he's struggling a little bit to croon. He's not really a crooner at this point in their career. He's more of a screamer and a yeller. And, um, you know, he's he sings from his lower abdomen. But in this one, I think he's really trying hard to sing this as a love song. And um, I don't think he's too successful in that, uh, only because he's just so young. Um, and he hasn't really been able to harness his voice the way he does now. Um, I would love to hear the song now with his his new Bono voice and not the young, you know, <laughs> the young Bono voice, because um, I think it would be gorgeous. Um, but uh, this is a, a great love song. And I used to sing this song to my kids when they were little and they were crying and they, they couldn't be consoled. And um, so I, I have a lot of very um, nice memories of singing the song uh, with my kids. Um, and as is so often with Bono's um, lyrics, uh, it's, it's really about him. I think he wants his love, the love of his life to take his hand. He's the drowning man. That's, that's my theory. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, just a great quiet not so quiet love song <laughs> <laughs> yeah you at youtube war 40 mentioned drowning man was the band's first true ballad and it still stands up today we were teased by them when they rehearsed it live 
which uh, I have in the uh, the little site tours.atu2.com uh, mentions that it was a, a snippeted in 2009 and 2005. Did they rehearse it somewhere more recently than that? Anybody know? I'm guessing not. Oh. Did they do it last it, year? I feel like, I don't think they did it last year, but I think yeah. late in 360. Yeah. We were yeah. still hoping for it late in 360 and it didn't happen. Because, yeah, there's yeah. a snippet of it in the Netherlands, apparently. But uh, before that, it's 83 is when it was last played. Uh, snippets oh, of it, sorry, geez. even then. So, um, oh, yeah, you have to, it looks like you have to, if this is, well, all of these actually are referenced as snippets. So I don't know if it was, has it ever actually been played in its full time, uh, full entirety, sorry. Um, I will, which, I not will according check. to Drowning Man on our, the tours database, but. Uh, oh, it's not? No. Yeah. It hasn't? No. So. Which is interesting. I mean, maybe musically wise, it is a weird, more interesting one as far as edge guitar and it's more acoustic, which is not typically, they don't have a lot of acoustic songs and definitely wouldn't have back then. Um, and uh, so maybe just musically it was more difficult to play and didn't want to try and incorporate it into a set. But um, I think it's the singing. I think it's too hard to sing. Yeah. I really yeah. do. At YouTube, I, don't, I don't think it's the instruments. I think it's Bono's mouth voice. <laughs> His, his lower admin. His <laughs> lower admin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what uh, UTGW asked. Why do you think it is that Bond, Drowning Man has never been managed to find its way into any live show sets? So there you go. Blame his abdomen or his mouth. One of the two. <laughs> I think he would struggle with it um, unless he did something with it like they did with every breaking wave, you know, last year. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they would arrange it and do it. Oh, chat room update here from Fabiano. They rehearsed Drowning Man in, on the 360 tour, but didn't play it in Barcelona 2009. So oh, wow. somebody's wow. got a YouTube very link. First, it was the opener. Barcelona okay. was the opener. So, okay. Yeah. There you go. So really the set the bar. Thank you. So, <laughs> you got a little blast. Hello. I'll put a link to the in the, in the show know. notes uh, to the YouTube video that apparently has, I won't play it right now, Drowning Man rehearsal. Uh, which mm-hmm. you can find at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 37 is where we're at. So uh, moving on to The Refugee. Again. I am. Like oh, this man. time it was to Larry, I think. Or <laughs> yeah, okay, so what's the, what are <laughs> the gigs about? This time. I don't know. This is one of those songs on the album, too, that just, it's the music. It just grabs you. And, you know, it's simple, but this song, clearly, you look at it today, it's still relevant. I think most of the album is still relevant today and through time, which is something just amazes me about their music but this album is timeless and i think this it's really the music it's the beat it's it's very simple but it's it i don't know i just like it <laughs> i'm wondering if this is uh, we need to have a alternate uh like bit like the tours database but um music instruments database is this the only use of cowbell in a u2 song I, that's what i hear it as <laughs> it anyway it very well could be <laughs> 
which trivia question. <laughs> yeah. Something Don't tell Matt. We'll use that for his uh, get him to guessing the song trivia the live live recording. But um, yeah, to me, though, it's funny you mentioned that because to me, this one is the most sounds the most. 80s ish kind of sound and maybe it's just like the weird echo reverb on bono's voice and um i tied the guitar effect though um in edge's kind of little solo lazy edge solo (laughs) um to the holy joe sound and pop like era kind of thing there's kind of a weird connection there but um but yeah looking at the lyrics it's definitely like heavy lyrics and stuff that are going on obviously and and like you said timeless but musically for me anyways it, it's hard to like get past some of the kind of head bopping 80s kind of sound to it but yeah I wish they made a video it. for it i wish they made a video because oh. yeah. it would have been so fun it would have been so perfect for the time like chris said yeah it's very very 1983 yes yes it it would fit right in without a man you know it's like Probably why I like it. <laughs> no, I like it too, and and I will never hear Larry play those drums, and that's what I wish. Oh. I wish we would. The drums are awesome. Yeah, it's. Do we all need a moment here for Larry? <laughs> we, we might. We might. We need a moment. Need a pause. <laughs> We're verklempt. <laughs> <laughs> And it's kind of like it's the it's the beginning phases of the Bono howl too. The ea ea, you know, mm-hmm. he's just right. starting to feel his groove there. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and that was a very eighties thing. That ea ea. Absolutely, thing. it was. Yeah. 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 And he he you know progressed it and evolved it to the howl that we've come to know and love. But right. The, the with or without you and electrical storm, etc. But yeah. yeah. He had to experiment somewhere, so he did it on the refugee. All right, let's keep moving. Two hearts beat as one is next. All right, Marilyn, you want to lead this one off? Oh, it's out of mind. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. Mm-hmm. It's it. one of those wailing songs. Like, you just can't help it. Sing along. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I like the remixes of this song. I have a memory of being... Um, underage and being at a frat party at a local university I will not mention um, <laughs> um, and this song came on and I was the only one out there and I just stayed out there for the whole 12 minutes <laughs> bouncing around to the to one of the remixes I couldn't tell you which one Um Mm-hmm. And uh, I still love to dance around my kitchen to this song. And uh, I think this is a good um, uh, uh, try it at a pop song <laughs> for you two. Uh, it's definitely a pop song. And I hear a lot of this song in a lot of songs from pop. And actually, I hear a lot of war in, there's a little bit of war in every U2 album, I think. So... Um, but this, I hear a lot of this song in pop, 
which is my favorite U2 album. You guys are killing me. You guys are absolutely killing me. I was so annoyed that somebody related this to pop on my Twitter feed today. I was so annoyed. (laughs) Now you're doing it. (laughs) Oh, you hate pop, don't you? I like like it. I hate pop, yeah. Um, But, yeah. I wonder if we'll be at pop just in time for the live recording to see what that would be fun. Uh, (laughs) And the other thing I like about this song is... um, there's a little bit of Bono rapping on it. <laughs> you know, that's a little bit of rap. That's true. Yeah, there's a little bit of rap on it. And it's, um, yeah, so I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> Here's a good trick. rap wasn't question. a thing back then. Does anyone know who the acrobat was in the video for this? No. I don't I, either. That's, oh, I'm honestly okay. asking. I really <laughs> yeah. don't know. I can tell you who the violin player was on Sunday Bloody Sunday. I can tell you who the guy on the cover of the albums. I don't know who the acrobat was, and I of course was scrambling to figure it out before we started, and I never, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't know if we, I don't know if we know. Something to ask Steve Lily White next time you. No, well, he won't <laughs> remember. Right. He doesn't remember why Edge sang two seconds. How's he going? Well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's moved on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they. Uh, Definitely looking through the lyrics on that one, it's definitely like um, you said it like just pop kind of stuff with definitely on the lighter side of of the album anyways. So um, but and uh, yeah, let's move on to Red Lights. Tasula, did you want to lead off with this one or should I play it? <laughs> I'm happy to lead it off if you want. The the part that goes da 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 Pretty good. Thank you. Fair enough. That's, this one's fun. I mean. Who's dancing? Isn't that Me. great? Isn't Sorry, that I am. That's such a great song. So the funny story behind this one, um, and why I was why I was begging to to sing that for you all. Um, when I again, when I interviewed Steve, I asked about the women on on the song because that's not something you hear, with the exception of Songs of Innocence. Now with uh, the Troubles, they don't really have backup singers for you mm-hmm. two, um, but they did here, and they were clearly female. So I said, what was the deal with that? And it was Kid Creel and the Coconuts that happened to be, and there's conflicting stories, like Steve's story doesn't necessarily mesh with Paul McGinnis's story, which doesn't necessarily mesh with Adam's story, so who knows. But somehow, these this band was in town and invited down to the studio, to Windmill Lane, where they were working on this, and they came in to listen to some things, and then the idea was tossed out, you know, that they would jump in and, and lend their voices, and they started doing it, and the timid little members of you two were standing there and, and one of the ladies says, well, you know, I sing better without my clothes on and starts to take her top off. And you two kind of freaked out because they're little innocent, sweet boys at the time. And she of course did not strip completely naked and sing the song, but it gave them a good laugh and loosened up the, the atmosphere apparently. But yeah, they, they did have these ladies on the song. I think it's fantastic. I think that it would make a wonderful live performance considering the the screens and the lights that they use these days. I think they could do a beautiful cityscape 
you know, doing the the old red light district homage. I mean, I, I've got it in my head. I can't communicate it very well right now in the middle of a podcast. But anyway, Willie Williams, get on that. <laughs> like, this would be a great song live. And I would be happy yeah. to sing back up for them <laughs> for free. You know? For free? Yeah. I, I'll I do it for free. I'll do it for free. Mars yeah. bar, maybe? I'll do it for free as well. I'll do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> we can rotate, you know. Well, there were three of them, so... Yeah. <laughs> that's true right they would uh-huh. races, yeah Very anyone cool. else like the song or am i yeah. a, am i, I on an island no this is no this is a fun song it's i think it's just got a nice beat to it and i do love the fact that they had you know women on this album and you're right we haven't heard that since until last year okay. the yeah. other thing i like about this song is the horns exactly mm. there's a yeah. trumpet yeah, yeah like, there's not a lot of horns on U um, two albums mm-hmm. or or rock albums of that era. Period. No, exactly. Right? So yeah, they right. were they were really <laughs> taking a lot of risks that you wouldn't think a band that had had a solid first album and a not so great or well received sophomore album would take. I guess. Yeah, and a bit of like the you know bands, especially that era, these days it tends to be a little less worry about that kind of stuff maybe, but, you know, including other musicians and stuff was a bit of like a thing where you're like setting precedent for what kind of band you are and do you allow trumpets and do you allow other people, backup singers as a thing, you know, and then you're going to bring them on tour or whatever and how you're going to play the song live and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, it's just interesting and the, the experimentation, I guess, that kind of left you two in terms of other artists they did it you know obviously in the future on other bands with other compilations and all that kind of stuff but on, on an actual u2 album it's uh they haven't done as much of it so um it's interesting lyrically wise too with that one how um bono is often thought of as having and is a really good lyricist um but often when you <laughs> you're looking listening to the song you don't really think too much about the lyrics but it's basically like 80 percent of him saying i give you my love which, mm-hmm. not to say that he can't have a song like that, but it's just kind of funny when you actually come just look at it on a screen or on a page or whatever of what he's actually saying each each song or, or for the song or whatever. Uh, it's just kind of funny how that can make up. up well, a fun song. and in that in that era, Bono was learning how to be a better lyricist and a better writer. He wasn't very comfortable with it yet, and his wife had to basically push him out of bed every day and say, "Look." You know, he'd say, I don't want to get out of bed. And she'd say, you mean you don't want to write? <laughs> so um, she helped him, I think, with the discipline or maybe pushed him. And this this album was, a, I think, he made a lot of strides. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, okay, moving on. Number nine is Surrender. Once again, catching myself just listening to the song and forgetting right? about it on a live podcast. <laughs> Such a great song. <laughs> is it? Is it something that's um, the 
again, to me, I often get distracted. Maybe, I don't know if it's because I'm guitar player guy or just like 90s kid or whatever. The the style and stuff kind of distracts me from it being a great song for me. Is But your Tassila, was that you that said it's such a great song? What yes. is it that's, that jumps out at you? I think this is the first distinctively edge song. Mm, interesting. Hmm. I really do. Like... And that's not to say, I mean, on this album, I'm not saying the first song ever. And yeah. Because Electric Co. would definitely qualify. But you immediately, that very first riff at the beginning, that couldn't be any other guitar player. It, it, I mean, listen to it. You know, it, it's it's so edge. It's it's so distinctively him. And and then by default, distinctively you too. So I love it. And I love the line, the lyric, one of my very favorite lyrics of all time is in this song. And the the city is bright, it's brighter than day tonight. Like I've thought of that in my head in so many situations where I've been in big cities in the middle of the night and looked up at the, at the lights and, and just started humming that song to myself. So I love it. Oh, I love this song too. Um, the only thing about <laughs> this song is just, there's all these depressing people in Bono's songs on this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's about I, war, you know. Right, yeah. right. And, I, you know, I, you know, it's a story song about Sadie, right? And um, I just, I feel like I want to catch her. You know, like I hear this song. She yeah. couldn't work out what it. it was all about. Yeah, she yeah. could, you know. Yeah, so, but another great line that Bono repeats um throughout the rest of his career and basically is his, you know, the way he lives his life is if I want to live, I've got to die to myself someday. So I think that's um, very telling about you two's future and um, how they just have to, every album, it seems like they throw away what they did before and just start over and they're a brand new band. Um, so I think that's awesome. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love the song. Yeah, there's a couple good. Uh, and just a shout out to Kelly Eskridge, too, for her essay on Surrender. There was two like a song essays about Surrender. They're both wonderful. So if you haven't checked those out, they're in my Twitter feed. <laughs> and they're on at YouTube.com. Excellent. So, yeah. yeah. And the theme of Surrender, of course, is here. And we all know that that has come. Every album and tour since then, it's just big in what they do. The uh, closing out our podcast, much like a U2 concert, is uh, <laughs> a song called 40. One, two, three, four. All right, uh, Becky, you want to take? Yeah, so as I was saying, uh, the first live show I ever went to was the Joshua Tree. And these guys were so great, of course. And they ended the show with 40, all of the shows at that time. And when we were leaving the arena, people sang it all the way out to the parking lot. I think it went on for a good 30 minutes, maybe longer. 
And I, I said, wow, I didn't know that they did this. <laughs> and it has stuck, and that's what all the fans still want to this day. And um, it's nice to see them putting that back in. And I, they did record this in the last couple of hours they had in their studio time. One thing I wanted to add here is that they recorded this album in three months. <laughs> it can be done. <laughs> you hear that, Yuzu? I'm done. just saying, they recorded it in three months, and this song, uh, to answer, uh, I guess it's Greg's Ski 17, um, they had two hours the last day and they had to do one more song. And so they sat down and said, well, what material do we have to work from? And they had this material that didn't go well together. They didn't like it, but they said, let's do it. Lily White gets on it and starts cutting out all the pieces that aren't useful. And then they sat down and recorded this. They opened up the Bible, according to Bono, found the Psalm 40, and then they laid it down, I think, at 45 minutes. Yeah, that's the... Uh, that's the story. It, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty legendary if you think about it for them. Which that's where yeah, Bono has been quoted various ways of saying, we wrote the song in about 10 minutes, we recorded it in about 10 minutes, we mixed it in about 10 minutes, and we played it then for another 10 minutes, and that's nothing to do with why it's called 40. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, it seems to be more of the Psalm 40, Isaiah 40 connections, maybe, if anything. But, um, but yeah, it, whether it's the biblical connection um, or just the emotional connection to the song uh, and having it be a closing song, even having never been to a, I don't think, to a live show where they've closed the show with it, it still is like a, for me anyways, is a thing that is, I just you just know is part of you too. Like, that's just, you know, yeah. part of the legend, I guess, at this point. Um, and so... This one is so emotional, you know, um, for them and I think for their audience. And when it's when you're happening, when you hear it, you know it's the last song, obviously. But I always get teary-eyed and it just is so emotional after usually what is a very emotional show and a great church service, if you will. And that they end with this, I just love it. I think it took on a a little extra emotion this year with the loss of, or last year with the loss of Dennis Sheehan as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that was that was hard. The first time, the first time we heard after he passed, that was very hard, but beautiful, but hard. Yeah, and I, I was reading a story about Red Rocks where the weather was so bad, and usually people would sing Forty. It was established pretty early on, I think, on this tour, obviously, or maybe the preview of the tour, the first time they did it. But at Red Rocks, they left the stage and nobody was singing it. And so they were like, what's going on? But then who was it that was under the stage? It was Dennis. It It was Dennis. That's 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 why I brought it up. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It was Dennis. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, it was so great. They ever have like a schedule? Not that I ever want this to happen, but I know it's the day will come. If they ever have like the last final show of you two ever, they better make this the last song. Yeah, it'll be mutiny if they do. Or there, or there will be <laughs> there will be problems in the parking lot. If they <laughs> problems in the parking lot. There's another good title. Uh, <laughs> they won't be able to leave. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Fans will just band together and uh, encircle the arena and refuse. Um, 
but yeah, and famously they, you know, and they play it live. Obviously, everybody's probably well aware that. Uh, but maybe YouTube fan <laughs> at YouTube or the YouTube fan in the chat room who wasn't aware of seconds being sung by Edge. They also Edge and Adam switch instruments, and oh, that's uh, right, which isn't always isn't a thing that happens very often. I was going to say that, yeah. Oh, um, well, here's the thing. One more piece. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, in the studio, Adam had already left. So Edge did both of the guitar parts. And that's why they, that's one of the reasons I think that led to the swap. Right. And just sort of kept up that idea of, yeah. Again, it was something that's very common these days with a lot of bands where they're like 10 people play 10 different instruments on each song almost. <laughs> definitely not something U2 has done a lot of, but, uh, uh, yeah, and for forty, they definitely make make an exception uh, and swap instruments. So, but very cool. All right, well, we made it through our war. Uh, I don't know if anybody has any closing comments on on war before we close the books and and uh, let forty ring out. <laughs> it's just the best album ever. Is it like <laughs> I, I I love it so much. It's my favorite U two album. Yeah. And you know, I mean it's in my it's in my top five of all of all, of all albums of any bands, of course. But I just don't get tired of it. I, I mean, I do get tired of some of their other stuff. You know, people may not believe that, but it's true. But I don't get tired of this. Yeah. How about you, Marilyn? Anything any closing words? Um, it's not my favorite album, but I do I do agree with Tasula. I can listen to this album at any time. And um, especially when um, I'm feeling down, I put this on and it just makes me angry. Well, that's a <laughs> great excited. thing to make yourself feel when you're down. <laughs> well, you know, it just makes me feel like, um, like I can't be held down. You know, I just feel like, yeah, Bono, you're right. I am going to sing a new song. I'm going to change everything, you know. So, um, and then it ends and uh, I go on with being down again. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that it did definitely, they, they were at a crossroads after October. They could have gone pop or rock and this established right. them as rock. So yeah. there's there's definitely an identity piece to it. But anyway. Thank goodness. Becky, how about you? Well, for me, it was my first true U2 experience, and it has this, such a special place in my heart and my life when I was you know, going from high school into college and just doing a lot of growing and learning, and there's so many good memories related to it, and I love the music, and I love the feeling of it. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite album either, but it's very high up there, and some of the songs are my favorites. One part, one part of the reason why I wanted to do this and why we wanted to do this sort of album by album discussion is maybe to expose folks who, for whatever reason, haven't gone back in the archives. I, I guess it probably if you're listening to a YouTube podcast, you're a big enough fan that you, you know, would would have gone back and listened to all the music and stuff. But maybe you just tend to stick to newer stuff or whatever. But to throw on an album like War or Boy or whatever, and and now that we've sort of dissected it a little bit more and maybe uh, expose some of the interesting elements of it you'd want to re-listen again with, with new years, new appreciation for what's going on in, in the band at the time and, uh, and check it out. So we'd love to hear your comments. Of course, if you send in uh, tweets with hashtag ask at you too, you can do that. And you can also, uh, if you have a comment uh, that you want to direct to individuals on this episode, maybe disagree or, or agree strongly with something that was said uh, to Sula, where can folks find you on Twitter? To be I am at, <laughs> <laughs> to be nice to me only. Uh, uh, yes, at Tasula, A-T-A-S-S-O-U-L-A. And Becky, how about you? 
Um, at B Myers, B M Y E R S. And Marilyn. I'm at Miss Marilyn, M S M A R Y L I N N. All right. And I'm iChris on Twitter. And uh, next up is going to be the Unforgettable Fire. Um, and so I, I forget who's on the list for that one, but we'll have some other guests. This is actually kind of appropriate. We had uh, we discussed how some women were involved in the, the war album. This is the first, aside from, I guess, myself. First, <laughs> first what you're saying. All, all women uh, podcast. All women. So, yeah. <laughs> is there something you want to tell us? No. <laughs> Save it for Cleveland. And uh, we had guys that just desperate to be on this episode too. We were like, oh no, we're full. Yeah, we're good. We <laughs> got right. this. Thank you. Full up. Mm-hmm. We don't need any war splaining? I guess going on. Uh, <laughs> war splaining. <laughs> So you can follow along on Twitter if you want to with that U2, ATU2 on Twitter, facebook.com slash ATU2com. And like I said earlier, you can find links to things we talked about in this episode, goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 37. I think that's it for this episode. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.